Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Off the Glass, Nothing But Net, and Up and Under networks. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. All right, what's up, Pels fans? Welcome to another episode of The Bird Calls. I'm your host and contributor to TheBirdRights.com, Preston Ellis. And today we're talking Pelicans, Lakers, Celtics, draft prospects, and so much more. Grub, aren't you excited? To do it, we have 75% of our starting four, uh, which is more than the Pelicans can say at this point, I guess. And we've got some special guests, so that's pretty cool. First up, editor-in-chief to TheBirdRights.com and the man who keeps reporting, even when we're playing the Hawks, Mr. Ali Cosell. What's going on, man? Happy Anthony Davis Day. <laughs> Somebody had to say it, so I'm going to say it now. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, Talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Get it over with. Uh, 26 years old. Happy birthday to Anthony Davis. I can't wait to scroll through those uh, those replies to that. Uh, good job by the New Orleans Pelicans handle uh, directly below it. He's like, if you guys are here for the replies, go ahead to my, uh, to my YouTube page and it gets even better. So make sure you guys go ahead and check that out. Next up, contributor to thebirdrights.com and the man who scored an impressive interview just last week, Mr. David Grubb. What's going on, man? Hey, glad to be back. I've missed this. We haven't done this in too long. Yeah, it's my fault. I've got like 14 jobs right now, so I don't even know what day it is. Uh, kind of like Grub, so we've got that uh, in common. Next up, we've got two special guests, both from thebirdrights.com. First, the man who is visiting New Orleans as we speak, Mr. Chris Connor. What's going on, man? I'm not, I'm doing just fine. How's everybody? Good, dude. Good, dude. We got Jamal Dunn over here too. Jamal, what's happening, man? Oh, nothing much, man. Just uh, watching these beautiful Pels games and uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> waiting, waiting for, uh, waiting for it to be over. Yeah, I know, man. Me too. Uh, you can follow these guys at Ali Cosell, at DM Grub, at uh, Jam Dunn Six, and at Impatient Bull. And you can follow all of us at The Bird Ride. So make sure you're doing that if you haven't already. Before we get started, remember you guys can help us out by spreading the word. You know, like us, retweet us, give us that sweet, sweet five star rating on iTunes. We appreciate you guys so much. Let's go ahead and get started. Uh, Ali, there's so much to talk about. It's such an exciting time to be alive. We've shut down Drew Holiday probably for the remainder of the season. Each one more in addition to that. Uh, Julius, it's pretty much the Julius Randall show at this point. Uh, but most importantly, I want to talk about what Adam Silver is doing right now with limiting LeBron James minutes while he's shutting down uh, Lonzo Ball and 
conceivably, probably Drew Holiday for the remainder of the season. What kind of precedence is this setting across the NBA? Do you think he's becoming too much of a player's commissioner at this point? I don't know. I mean, it's a great question because at first it was pretty relatively easy. There was just one big problem. That was Anthony Davis. Now suddenly everybody's dropping like flies left and right. And I, I, I just think the bigger thing here to take away is the fact that, you know, when AD, when there was talk about sitting him down, everybody cried wolf. And then suddenly LeBron James and the Lakers are out and everybody wants to see LeBron James sit. So I, I, I don't really have much to add other than you guys probably know where my thoughts are on this. And, and it can't be one way or the other way with uh, depending on the player you're talking about. And you're right. Adam Silver and the NBA kind of needs to come out with something a little more concrete than they've been doing. I mean, I, I just don't understand the point of what the charade, the cameos of Anthony Davis have meant to anybody these last three weeks. 21 minutes. He's hurting his own numbers. He's uh, disrupting the team's chemistry. He could get hurt. Play, or the fans aren't really getting their money's worth, right? Because, I mean, that guy is obviously not trying. Every game you watch him defensively, he's loafing. I mean, I know John Collins is a good player, but he got backed down by him, or he backed down 80 way too easily and scored on a few buckets just – too easily. He was right next to the rim. So I don't have much to add, Preston, other than somebody needs to come down to like one unanimous decision on how to handle this moving forward. But you just can't have all these separate things happening with each team doing what they want with their players anymore. Yeah, the problem, Grub, is that Adam Silver is classifying Anthony Davis as a star. And so when players like Drew Holiday, this was mentioned by Alvin Gentry, he said if it was up to Holiday, he'd probably be playing every night, even with this new uh, core muscle strain that Misty Siri uh, diagnosed him with. But we've seen on injury reports, illness, back spasm, all number of things with Anthony Davis, and yet they still continue to make him play or let him play, I should say. What is your take on this? Yeah, I, I just find it hypocritical because the, the biggest thing that they, they talked about even beyond just stars was the competitive balance. And you look at the Lakers schedule, and, and Anali and I were talking about this the other night, 11 of their final 16 games are against playoff teams. And that, especially in the West, their final stretch of games are all against teams in the Western Conference that could be you know jockeying for that a position in the playoffs or a playoff spot. And I think that it's it's really um, unfair for the league to put put that pressure on the Pelicans, the fourth fourth Anthony Davis onto the court, but then allow LeBron basically to choose when and if he's going to play um, in a far more important circumstance. Yeah, let's go over to Jamile and continue this line of thinking. Uh, not that Anthony Davis is helping the Pelicans win at this point. Uh, many could argue he's, in fact, helping their uh, lottery tanking odds. But let's just say for the sake of the argument that the Pelicans were winning with 20 minutes from Anthony Davis. Not only is he putting himself at injury risk, he's also actively hurting the tanking odds in many ways making the, Pel the Pelicans organization off worse than they could previously be if they just sat all uh, for the remainder of the season at any point during the next three to four weeks, do you think the Pelicans finally force the NBA's hand and sit Anthony Davis? Um, I, I don't think they're going to force anything. If you're going to force something, you would have done it already, right? Now now they're just in the slow circling the drain phase of the season, right? So I, I don't see the point, the purpose of like, you know, ruffling any feathers at this point in the league office, right? The time to do that, and I agree, well, I guess you didn't say it, what they should do, but I mean, it was my opinion that that you know Gail Benson and you know ownership really should have just bitten the bullet 
uh, at the beginning and, and paid whatever fine or taking whatever flack they had to take. At the end of the day, you know, the owners are, are the bosses of the legal office. It's not the other way around. The legal office can say a lot of stuff, but uh, at the end of the day, it, it is your team and you have to do what's best for your team. Look, with the Pelicans, they're just a the type of team right now because they haven't won consistently that anything they do is dumb and any, uh, you know, anything that other teams do, depending on the franchise, may, may be smart, even if it's the same thing, right? So um, that's just where they are. In terms of um, shutting him down at this point, I don't, I don't think it makes, you know, any sense if you, weren't, if you haven't done it already. But uh, so, so, no, I don't think they're going to shut him down. Um, but I certainly wish they had. Chris, Ali said earlier that uh, Anthony Davis was backed down by John Collins one too many times. I think he had four turnovers in the first eight minutes or so. Do you think it's possible that he's actively hurting his trade return right now? Um, I think it's, it's a, it is a, a small possibility, but you know, if you're, when you look at the teams that are, that are going after him, their their mindset, and I believe uh, Ali actually mentioned mentioned this to me before, that you know if you're Boston, if you're Brooklyn, or you know the Lakers, or whoever ends up ends up jumping in the race, your thought process is uh, he's going to be in a much better in a much better situation. You're going to get everything that you that you can out of him. He's going to be happy, focused, and you know motivated again to kind of prove some of the uh, some of the statements that he ended up coming out with in the beginning of the season about being a top five player, being an MVP candidate, the best player in the NBA, all of those, all of those conversations. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I just, we know when he's, when he's all in, he's, you know, an all world talent. And I don't think any executives are going to look at this situation. It's been a circus and weird all around. I don't think they're looking at it and saying is, you know, this guy isn't going to come here. Um, and put up 25, 28, and 13 um, in a few blocks per game. Yeah, for sure. Let's go ahead and transition now to Drew Holiday. Sorry that we're keeping this crisp. we got a lot of guys on the line. I want to get to everybody's thoughts on this. Ali, we're going to go over to Drew Holiday right now. That core uh, abdominal injury, that strain, that's going to get him reevaluated in the next 7 to 10 days by Misty Surrey. You'd like to believe that Drew Holiday is going to come back at some point, but I think it's in the better interest of everyone just to let him sit out the remainder of the season. My question to you is this. Drew Holiday has been very, very good lately, uh, especially with this ragtag group of Czech Diallo, Kenrich Williams, Frank Jackson. He's emerged as a leader. He's doing it on both ends. I don't have his numbers in front of me, but I will as you talk. Uh, somewhere around 21, 8, and 5 rebounds per game. He's hit most of his incentives, $510,000 in bonuses for minutes played and rebounds through the season. Here's my question. Do you think he can be the face of the Pelicans franchise going forward? And what do you think their ceiling would be with him as a number one player? Yes, I definitely do. People seem to think that numbers equate uh, what, who should be a face of the franchise, right? Stats rule all, but that's not true. And when you talk to a lot of NBA people, which I've luckily been able, unfortunately been able to do over these last couple of years, it's about how you carry yourself off the court. It's about what you do in practices. It's all those other things that nobody does talk about. And you know what? Drew Holiday checks off every single one with ease. You know, you almost give him an A, I think, in just about every category. So he can easily carry a team. And, and, and this is the biggest thing. Does he have the respect of the locker room? Does he have the respect of the coaching staff, the trust of the staff? And all these are, again, yeses. So I think it's, it's pretty easy to say that, yes, he can be. It's just not going to be like an all-NBA, here's my MVP candidate. But in terms of just keeping a cohesive unit, 
for having somebody or for having the whole team look up to. Like I said, he checks all those uh, box marks. So I think Drew Holiday is – that's the plan. They're going to move forward with Drew Holiday as the face. Like I've talked about before, we've seen that already this year uh, in terms of both the position that they put him in where he's now talking uh, in front of the cameras every night that he uh, is being asked by all, all, by all sorts of media about everything else that's been going on team, and he has voluntarily answered everything as well. That's something he wasn't doing before. So – I think we're moving that direction, Preston, yeah. And I honestly don't have a problem with it. You've got to pick somebody, right? And everybody's already following Drew, loves him. I'm Julius Randall, talks highly of him, Frank Jackson, Alvin, everybody. So this is a no-brainer. Grub, here's where he sits in real plus minus across the NBA. Behind Paul George, James Harden, Nikola Jokic, Anthony Davis, Giannis, Vucevic, Durant, LeBron James, Steph Curry, and Kyle Lowry. And Drew Holiday is 11th in the entire NBA in a real plus minus, according to ESPN.com, fourth among point guards. Where would you rank him among, uh, among the NBA's elite right now? You know, I, he's, he's not on that LeBron, you know, Durant that elite level but he's on the as far as you know like a Damian Lillard that level where he's can be the lead player um and take a team to that level um with a good counterpart he would need another superstar type player to win a championship but he could definitely be your lead player and take you to very good places um with your team you wouldn't feel bad um you wouldn't feel deficient if Drew Holiday were the best player um, on the Pelicans team um, with that transitioning, you know, over time, developing that second player or finding that second player um, to, to really be the elite guy, um, hopefully, or as good as Drew. But I think Drew is a top 15 player in the NBA this year. Jamal, do you think it's in the Pelicans' best interest to get Drew Holiday back on the floor this season and help develop these guys, build a culture, maybe win a couple of games? Or would you prefer to sit, uh, see him sit the remainder of the season? Um, you know, that's a tough one, but, but I, I think if, if this injury is real, even if it's just a minor type of a thing, there's absolutely no reason in their position why you would even think about, you know, playing him and possibly, you know, straining something further. And now he's got to actually do rehab during the off season. Um, now if it's not real, and just kind of a, a tanking injury, um, you know, there's a case to be made. I thought, but really, they may have already seen what they needed to see from Drew because I really thought that game really developed once there was no crutch of, like, Anthony Davis or, or any of that to lean on, and he just kind of had to be the guy. I always wondered about him, like, could he do that, even in spurts? Uh, and he was able to do that, uh, which was really impressive. Uh, so to answer your first question about, you know, what that would mean for them as a team if they were to keep through holiday, um, it depends on the trade package you get back. I, I think if you got something like uh, Smart and Tatum from Boston, you know, I, I think with that sort of backcourt and wing, if you if you were just you know did smart moves up front and a couple of bench moves, I think you could get back into the playoffs and be a really compelling team. So, um, no, I don't think it makes sense to play them anymore, especially if this injury, which we'll just have to take their word for it. If this injury is even a minor injury, just let him heal. There's no reason, you know, in a meaningless game against the Hawks to like have him, you know, strain something further. 
Chris, there's only so much somebody at the point guard position can do to enter himself into the defensive player of the year conversation. He's just 10th in defensive plus minus right now among point guards. Uh, Marcus Smart, Derek White, Tyus Jones, Kyle Lowry, Corey Joseph, Lonzo, among some of those guys. Do you think the way that we track our defensive player of the year category is flawed right now? Do you think Drew Holiday uh, deserves recognition on this behalf, at least consideration? Or do you think I'm overblowing this? No, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's flawed um, uh, per se. I mean, I just think, you know, you need the right, the right individual and the, the right considerations all, all involved in, in, in with those numbers that you look at. Um, I think a lot of, of, of over the past few years, of course, uh, you know, what you do as an individual defensively, you know, has to be tied into where your team ranks. And of course, you know, we've seen that, you know, the Pelicans have had their defensive struggles over time, but, you know, we've noticed since Anthony Davis has been, you know, off and on, away, hurt, whatever the case has been, they've been much better as a team. And um, when you when you separate that and you look at what Drew's doing, you know, the issue is that all those other guys that you named from Derek White to, you know, to Tyus Jones, to Kyle Lowry, uh, to the uh, the Lonzo Balls of the world when he was healthy, you know, a good majority of those guys, their their objective coming into each game, it isn't normally you have to guard the best player on said team pretty much for from the start to the end of the basketball game. And, and then outside of the other side of the floor, we need you to drop 20-plus points and uh, hand out 8-plus assists, you know, and find a way to help us win a game. You know, I mean, uh, I think that aspect is often, is often forgotten. And, you know, we may sometimes, you know, we get into the metrics of the of the numbers a little bit too much. Uh, but, you know, I mean, I, I don't think you're overblown in regards to he deserves consideration. When I say he's the, he's the defensive player of the year, no. But I do think out of the, all the guys that we named that, that are up there in that category, he has the most on his plate. And even if you separate it defensively, I still think he has the most point on his plate because, well, well the most on his plate because he's guarding three, sometimes four different positions. Um, and there's not many guys that can really do that outside of set a guy like Paul Jones, who's fell off a little bit uh, since the All-Star break, but was having a, a really exceptional start to the year um, defensively. Yeah, and it actively hurts his defensive real plus minus when he is positioning himself against Kevin Durant, against Giannis, against Kawhi Leonard, because even though he's mitigating what these guys could do against somebody like, a, say, Solomon Hill or Kenrich Williams, those guys are going to get theirs, uh, especially with the length that they have over him. Uh, let's go ahead and continue, Ali. We're going to get to Julius Randle. I know that this one's going to be divisive, and I'm excited about it. Uh, 24 points, over six rebounds, over four assists per game over the last 10 games, and that's virtually since the All-Star break. His usage is up, and his scoring is up. However, even Zach Lowe has now uh, been privy to how inept he's been on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, not terrible in one-on-one -on -one positioning, but just absent-mindedness, missing rotations, failing to match up and transition, that sort of thing. How valuable do you think a big man who can score at the volume that he does is, and how much do you think he earns this summer? I think it's very important, Preston, because as we've seen this year, the Pelicans have not had a very good three-point shooting team uh, most of the months. And so, but yet they're in the top five uh, in scoring pretty much all year. So the way they've gotten that done, and let's face it, they're still scoring a lot, even with Anthony Davis minutes pretty much being cut. Um, and that's because they, they can drive the ball. They, they, they're very good at penetrating and either kicking or taking it all the way to the rim. And it starts with Drew, obviously, but I think Julius plays off that really well, that same mindset. The Pelicans are always attacking, and I've caught you know more than several occasions 
the opposing coaches talk about how hard it is to stop the Pelicans because they can do a lot of different things with the ball on the court, whether it is a pass, drive, or, um, you know, shoot, even though they don't shoot that well. But, again, they do offer a lot of that that uh, aggressive uh, and, and the ability, uh, that attacking style that you kind of want to see in today's NBA. Because if you're not an elite shooter, you've at least got to be an elite scorer. And you know what? That's what Julius Randle is. So the thing with Randle is, of course, you just mentioned, everybody knows, is, is his defense. And uh, it's really his awareness. It's just really, really bad. The guy's always got his head seemingly turned the wrong way, or he's got his body out of position. You know, it, it's one thing or another that always gives up then an easy score to the opponent. And I know the coaching staff has been working really hard with him. But this is the thing I'm looking at with Julius. Is he a bigger net positive than he is a bit uh, bigger net negative? And the answer to that question, according at least to plus minus, is he's a bigger net positive. Uh, when you look at the numbers, the uh, on-off uh, numbers for Julius, he is a, he has the second highest among all the other Pelicans since November 1st. Uh, I think that says a lot. So there, there's something there, and, and that's why I think maybe that's why the Pelicans have shown an interest. If you remember, Will ran a trade deadline, said that there's interest between Randall's camp and the Pelicans in re-signing him. So that's very understandable. And, of course, it comes down to money. Nobody wants to see Julius get the max, nor does he deserve it. But you've got to think, what is that ballpark? And for me, I think that a comfortable range would be somewhere right around that $15 million mark uh, per season. Now, you know, there's going to be a lot of teams with a lot of money, so that's probably not going to be enough. There's always one or two teams that always kind of strikes out on their other top choices, so they, you know, basically end up settling. So I could see that very easily happening. But I wouldn't want to see the Pelicans throw more than, say, $15 or $60 million dollars a year at Julie's for say about a three-year deal. What about you, Grub? Yeah, Ali and I have talked about this a lot. It's just um, the shorter deal is is better for I think for everybody involved. I mean, you know, it gives the Pelicans enough time to see if they can develop Julius um, defensively, make him more of a, a cornerstone if that's um, his potential is. And it's also I think it's beneficial for Julius. He knows the offense um, if that if it continues, but even then he knows the situation he's in um, and he can still figure out if the Pelicans are on the, on the way up after the Anthony Davis deal uh, and, and whether or not in a couple of years he can go back on the market and maybe be in a better position. So, I mean, I, the, the teams that are out there that we've talked about, you know, who are going to have money. I think you're talking about maybe the Knicks, if they strike out on everybody, they throw some money at him, um, but they're not a winning team and he wants to go to the playoffs so and then in the Western Conference, who are the teams that are going to have cap space that are going to be able to offer him 15 to 20 million dollars a year? I don't know who that is. So, I mean, I think that's the advantage the Pelicans have is that the teams that have money won't be winning teams. And they, they, they at least they have uh, the history with him. Jamal, uh, weigh in on this, on what you think he earns. And obviously, Ali said that there's interest between both his camp and the Pelicans in returning. But do you think if the Pelicans offer the same amount of money as, say, a team in New York or a bigger market, do you think Julius Randle would still choose to return to New Orleans? Or do New Orleans have to out outbid other teams? Um, I think it depends on so much, right? I mean, we don't know if the coaching staff is coming back. So it kind of depends on, you know, who are the new coaches that come in, who's the new GM, what kind of feel does he have for them uh, in terms of his comfort level, you know, on a professional level with those guys. Um, that's going to play a huge part. I don't I, – I truly don't feel like um, 
the market thing, I think it's sort of overblown, right? Because nobody ever signed it with the Knicks. No one ever signed with the Knicks. Nobody ever signed with the Lakers uh, of any import. I mean, LeBron, but that was, you know, that's basically him merging his sort of LeBron corporate thing with the Lakers. Um, you know, so that really didn't have anything to do with them. So um, for a guy like Julius, I don't think that's going to make a big difference. I think he's, one, going to be looking for money, and then, two, for a large role. Um, if the Pelicans can offer him that um, and, and they're comfortable moving forward with trying to you know, make him a better player defensively, you know, I think, I think it could work out. Um, if you had, like, for instance, the package that I mentioned last time with Tatum and Smart, if you put him, Tatum, Smart, Drew on the court and you are you able to get a, a solid defensive center in free agency, whether it's on a short-term deal or a long-term deal. Uh, I mean, you're putting four good defenders around him in theory. Uh, so you would hope that that would kind of rub off on him and the new coaching staff could also maybe coach him up a bit on that side. So um, it, there's a lot of variables. I don't think it's going to, he's going to like, I don't think New York means anything. Um, the one thing I always thought was interesting about Julius was when he first came in, I remember the press conference, and he really said it with conviction on his face. When he said, to me, I look at this as a long-term, a long-term, you know, decision. When he signed, knowing that he had the option and, and they were going to have to come back to the business end at, the end at the end of the season. But I always kind of wonder, did AD, you know, knowing they're, you know, they kind of know each other off the court, did AD mention, hey, this is probably going to be it for me. So if you're looking for a place where maybe you could be a starting four, you know, and you could help us this season. Um, maybe they had that conversation. I don't know. I don't have any information on that. That was just something I always thought about. Uh, so for Julius, I think it's basically going to come down to who's the GM, uh, who's the coach, and is he as comfortable with them as he was with the, the presumably outgoing front office and, and coaching staff. Chris, because I think Julius Randle kind of needs the floor space to initiate his own offense, he is shooting 36% from three-point range, so he has been very good from there, and that's on 4.4 attempts per game. But who do you think is the optimal front court mate to complement Julius Randle's shortcomings on the defensive end while still giving him the space he needs to operate on the offensive end? Uh, that's, that's tough. I mean, I guess at that point um... – one thing in the in the Zach Lowe uh, article pointed out was that you know he probably fit best as a small a small uh, a small rotation or like a small uh, court five uh, to where you know you put him in a situation the way you can uh, have some sort of stretch forward next to him. I mean, but it, I guess it depends on you know um, what type of system is being brought in from from start to finish. Um, if you're playing a more a more traditional style, I mean, whether he was next to uh, Jaleel, or he was in on the floor next to Diallo, he was still able to uh, pick and choose where he was able to create at. Um, if you're putting three other guys in a, say, in a backcourt or a small forward next to him that can't really shoot, um, it really doesn't matter where he ends up or who's his frontcourt mate. Um, I, off the top of my head, I really can't think of anyone. Uh, I think that if there's a situation where you have Drew, you're able to uh, get some sort of a point guard. Whether we're talking Tatum ends up coming in or Kendall Knox is your is your small forward, uh, you can still get away with having someone that is just going to sit down there and do the dirty work. I would look for a guy. I know Ed Davis has been one that we talked about a lot here. I know Grubb has been a fan. Uh, Kevin has been a fan. I would want someone who was just focused on 
uh, doing some of the dirty work that Julius doesn't want to do, guarding, guarding bigger players, rebounding, defending the rim. Um, that would be my goal versus having him as a, as a small ball five um, on a team that's, that's already going to lack size and, you know, overall, uh, you know, length and athleticism. So that would be my uh, choosing if, if I was uh, at the helm. All right, nice. Ali, I know there's a lot more we could talk about with Julius Randle, yeah. but uh, let's go ahead or go ahead and weigh in quickly. I know you probably uh, have a follow-up. Yeah, I, I think just really quickly want to say that a lot of people would say, obviously, you want to get a big man that can defend the rim, like DeAndre Jordan. I'm of the other mindset. I don't think you want to clog up that space for Drew and Julius on their drives. That's what makes them really operate at their best offensively is when they can get in that lane without having a couple guys crash in on them. So I would look the other way. I would try and get a shooter and put him out there next to Julius. I can still kind of defend the rim. And my number one target would be Brooke Lopez. Get somebody like him. That I mean, you got him to stretch out the floor. That way he's not in there, but he can set some good screens. And like I said, he's bulky and big enough. But you park him underneath the paint, nobody's going to go through that guy. you know. So I think that's where the Pelicans should be looking, regardless of whoever they have uh, running the offense at, uh, as a head coach next year. All right, let's go really quickly on this one. We're going to talk about the Lakers really quickly. Obviously, Brandon Ingram is now out for the season with a shoulder injury. It's called deep vein thrombosis. It's a a blood clot. Uh, Best wishes to him and his family. Obviously, we're going to gloat a little bit, but I want to emphasize that we really do hope for the best for him. Uh, I never wanted something like this to happen via injury. I was just hoping that he sucked in general and the Lakers just lost all the remainder of their game. So certainly wish the best for him. With that that being said, Ali... um, does this remove the Lakers from Anthony Davis contention? Obviously they're trying to get a top overall pick, but how could things get any worse for the Lakers right now? You nailed it. Yes, yes. And yes. Lonzo doesn't want to come here. Uh, Brandon Ingram, who was supposed to be the star of the package suddenly has something that could turn into say a Chris Bosch deal. I mean, worst case scenario, but yet we won't know for at least months until he's uh, free and clear and those blood clots don't come back. So and Kyle Kuzma, as we know, isn't anything that can headline a package. He's just simply a scorer who's very inefficient at that and a terrible defender. So, yeah, I think that's the biggest thing that nobody's written about yet. The Lakers are seemingly out of the uh, Anthony Davis sweepstakes. Yeah, definitely. They're going to try to get that overall pick, Rob. That's going to be the big difference. But if they can't get a top four overall pick, you'd have to think that they're out on this. My question to you is this. Does this actively hurt the Pelicans' trade return because it eliminates a big buyer? No, um, because you still have to see how things play out for a number of these teams. You know, Kevin Durant's decision changes things for a lot of people. Kyrie Irving's decision will change things for a lot of people. So, um, you know, and people want Anthony Davis. That's the thing is they're going to pay. And you can get the price that you want or not, but the Pelicans have to hold firm. If they have to give on picks to get the player they want, do that. If you have to give... But don't give up the talent. You have to get some talent in return. And I think the Pelicans are going to hold firm on that. They have to find one certifiable star potential player that they can show their fan base, whether it's through the number one pick or number two pick in the draft or through a Jason Tatum type player. Um, So I don't think they've lost in that yet. And I think the Lakers will try to find some way to add a third team maybe to a deal to bring more talent to the Pelicans. So I I wouldn't put them out of it yet either. 
And Jamal, we're of course hoping that the Knicks are going to land a top overall pick in addition to Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, giving them the impetus to unload Kevin Knox, Dennis Smith Jr., and their top overall pick for Anthony Davis. But let's say that those guys don't go to New York. There's no indication that they would other than the Knicks, you know, opened up a ton of calf space and acquired extra first round picks from Dallas. But let's say we eliminate them. Then at this point, you've really only got Boston bidding against themselves. Do you think this is going to diminish the trade return at all? Uh, it, it could, it could, but it also depends on what Boston's position is, right? Um, if Kyrie, if, and it also depends on obviously how Boston finishes the season. I mean, look, there's a universe where they, I don't think this is going to happen, but there's a universe where they win the finals, right? And at that point, well, yeah, I mean, I'm not trading, I'm not breaking up my finals team, especially a, a team as young as the Celtics. Um, but more, real, you know, if you're being more realistic, maybe they get bounced in the second round. Okay, they do need more. Um, okay, are you just going to bring the same team back? Um, because it, it doesn't seem like it's working there. Only because there's there's certain guys, the younger guys are trying to prove themselves to get themselves into a position later on in their career where they can cash in on a max or near max deal, right? So um, I think they would still make the deal. And you're trading for Anthony Davis. So uh, there will be other suitors. There's going to be suitors who we don't even you know think about. Um, you know, the, the, yeah, the Clippers will be in there and I don't love Clippers package, but you know, there's still a team that can offer something. So if, if the Celtics are saying, because if you take Tatum out of the deal and say it's like smart Brown and I don't know, some kind of filler and picks, um, well, that's not that much better than with, with the Clippers or maybe Toronto or, or some other teams could, could possibly offer even the Knicks, right? Even if the Knicks, you know, don't land the top pick. You know, if they've got number three or four plus their young players, if you're not including Tatum in the deal, I would still send AD to the Knicks um, for for that deal. So, so I think they're going to be fine. They're going to get a good deal, assuming they, you know, make a good hire in the front office. They're going to get a good deal, regardless of uh, for what happens with these different guys. But you know, I really don't. I just have a, such a hard time. I don't understand these guys. I can't understand how Durant could leave a team that could be this historic and have a chance to, to four-peat, which none of the greats, or none of the modern greats have done. Um, I, I don't understand it. But if that were to happen, I still think the Pelicans will be fine. There'll always be somebody out there who's trying to add a talent like Anthony Davis. So uh, I don't worry about it. I'm 100% with Jamal. I just had to say that. You nailed it, buddy. I agree. Somebody's going to want him, jump out of the woodwork, just like Masai did in Toronto. For Kawhi, who I felt like had even a bigger questionable surrounding, you know, family history, the personal off the court problems. All right. We'll finish up with Chris. I'm deeply concerned, uh, not just because uh, Anthony Davis only has a year remaining on his contract. These theatrics he's gone through with LeBron James on the shop, some of the comments that he's made publicly. Uh, there's there's a lot of teams that that might scare uh, specifically because he does only have one year remaining on his contract and he could always come out and say that I don't want to resign with this team and and help diminish the trade value even more so. Do you think the Lakers losing all these players and everything seemingly blowing up in Los Angeles is going to diminish the trade return this summer? Um, no, 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 I don't, I don't, I'm not of that, of that thinking just yet. I mean, um, you know, the, the rumors around Paul George before he went to, uh, Oklahoma city was that, you know, it was the writing was on the wall a, a year prior that he was going to end up signing long-term with the Lakers and no place else. And that's exactly where he was going. 
They were rumored that, that he even went to Indiana and said, I don't want to be here. This is where I'm going to go. Um, now, Toronto was a little bit different, but um, Kawhi Leonard and his camp were very clear. We're moving to L.A. Even, even with this Toronto deal, this is, this is where we're going. Um, but the deals ended up still happening. Now, depending – I mean, I don't know how, how those feel about the DeRozan and uh, the uh, package in total that uh, San Antonio ended up getting for – uh, Kawhi, but you know if the Pelicans got got something similar, an All Star caliber player and company, you know a pick or so. I mean, I I think guys would end up taking that depending on who was you know uh, who what what general manager, what coach was uh, behind the uh, whole ordeal. I um I can't see it only because AD is listen. I mean, no matter how we feel about him, you know he's proven his talent in, in the league. You know he's proven that. You know, with the right person in his ear, he may be able to be swayed a little bit. Um, and with the Lakers, although you know we see all the theatrics and everything that's went around it, they're also falling, um, falling behind in the whole, you know, in the old race in regards to teams that would fit well with him going forward. I'm, I'm sure that the talent around him that, he, that he's going to be playing with is going to matter. LeBron's getting older. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen with Brandon Ingram. Who else is going to be there? Lonzo Ball is a question mark. Um, so. I mean, at some point we have to question if Anthony Davis is, uh, is even going to be thinking, you know what, you know, I would like to be, you know, in Los Angeles. I would like to play with LeBron, but, you know, on what terms? Maybe I'll go over here, you know, in Boston and play with my friend. Maybe I'll go in New York um, and get guys to, you know, come play with me in a market or maybe, you know, Kyrie uh, follows. You know, whatever the case may be, I think as we continue to move forward, and especially with the talks about you know, the, uh, the, the report about Magic and some of his maybe encompasses being a general manager, um, or, or or being a front office exec, you know, I, I think at some point, you know, we got a question when AD is going to say, right, you know, maybe maybe the Lakers isn't uh, the spot for me right now. All right, we got to keep it going. We got 20 minutes left. Uh, late breaking news: the Lakers' coaching staff wanted to re-sign Brick Lopez and Julius Randle before Magic signed Javale Beasley and Lance, and they should add Rondo to that report. So things could not be worse in Los Angeles right now. All right, we're gonna do <laughs> we're gonna do rapid fire right now, uh, Ali. Everybody's gonna get one topic, uh, and we're gonna finish it out that way. I'm gonna start with you, Ali, and check Diallo: ten points, eight rebounds over the last ten games since All Star break. Also, sixty-five percent from the field i think he's a restricted free agent this summer do you think he's in for some sort of payday um no i mean when you say payday i guess i'm thinking eight million plus a year or something like that i don't think i see that he can probably end up with something like maybe top is is what amino took when he went to portland something like that six million dollars a year for say three years but other than that no so i still think that the pelicans if, if they can get him somewhere in that price range should Honestly, consider it. Um, this this guy's really improved, and you got to remember, he still has barely ever played any basketball before this level. Level, and this is the first time he's actually seeing competitive minutes on a consistent basis against the NBA. And he's got everything there other than the hands. You know, I mean, he could be a little bit taller, be a little thicker, but if he could just get those work on those hands, there's not too many that are better off the bench of what they do. So I would like him if the Pelicans could get him, say five, six, seven million tops per year all right let's go over to grub and frank jackson the past 10 games 12 points five rebounds per game and somewhere around 25 minutes per game uh, i want to say and he's been shooting a bit better from three i don't have the numbers in front of me but i think it's somewhere around 47 percent and 35 percent from three-point range talk about what you've seen from the ferrari lately 
Um, offensively, he looks like he's figuring things out more. Uh, it's a little more difficult when Drew uh, isn't on the floor. He needs to be kind of guided um, at times. But that's ex- to be expected again. He's a guy just like Czech who hasn't played a lot of basketball at the highest level. So he's still adjusting from night to night. But you like to see that he stays aggressive. He continues to attack the rim. Um, he's not afraid to, to take the three, um, even before, you know, late in the shot clock situations. So, um, you know, his shot selection could be a little bit better. But again, that comes from young players. The biggest thing that Frank continues to need to improve on, and we knew that coming in, is his defense. He just has to get better, um, you know, on the ball uh, and his off-ball awareness. But that's been a Pelicans issue all season long. But I think he'll get better. He, he, he wants to get better. You can see the effort. And like, like Ali talked about earlier, there's that, that following of Drew, um, you know, watching him and learning from him. And I think that'll, by next year, with Frank having uh, been on the court so much more, um, things just look better and better for him. Uh, I, I see him as a regular contributor. He's got to make a, he'll make a small jump. But then I think the year after that is when you really start talking about Frank as a solid sixth man. All right, Jamal, I want to talk about Kenrich Williams with you. Uh, over the last 10 games, he's regressed. He's just at seven points and five rebounds. He's not shooting well from the field, under 40% and 31% from three-point range. Uh, I don't know if any of it is directly correlated to Alfred Payton's return, uh, but he just seemingly hasn't been comfortable offensively. Talk about Kenrich Williams. Is this a natural regression for a rookie, or do you actually have some concerns? No, I mean... Look, it really would have made more sense for Kendrick to come out of the gates in terms of when he started getting big minutes, uh, come out of the gate like this and then improve to what we saw earlier. But it doesn't always happen like that with young players, right? Progress isn't always linear like that. So, um, so no, I think he's just sort of having one of those rookie swoons, right? We've seen guys like um, Frank Jackson, right? We've seen him go for – maybe two games and he's, you know, hitting his open shots and making the right pass and not rushing. And then, you know, the next game he comes out and he looks, you know, awful, like a, like a rookie again. Right. So I think that's what Kendrick is going through. I think also the lineup, all the different lineup changes uh, when he was doing well, I mean, they had lineups that probably suited him better, but also the lineups were staying somewhat, you know, um, somewhat static, at least for this team. Right. Um, with with the young guys playing and then trying to fit the whole AD thing in there. But uh, so I think it's just natural regression. He doesn't cost them anything. He's shown enough in actual NBA games um, that you can bring him back. Again, it doesn't cost you anything. So I think he's definitely a part of their future. Um, I think we'll see how big a part of the future, you know, maybe in summer league and early next season, though. All right, last one. This one's for Chris. Jaleel Okafor was playing really, really well before the All-Star break, uh, specifically from the end of January through early February. I don't remember the exact numbers, but he was averaging somewhere around 19 points and 10 rebounds per game. Lately, just five points and three rebounds per game in just over 12 minutes. I know that ankle's been giving him uh, issues, but are you concerned about Jaleel? Um, no, I, I think during the during the time in which he was playing really well, I mean, putting up, putting up, you know, close to, uh, like you said, 20, 20 and 10 uh, over, over a short span. Um, the lineups, again, similar to the, the issue with, with Kim Rich and I mean, a bunch of other, of other young role players on the team. 
the lineup changing over and over again in, in regards to Anthony Davis being next to him. Then, you know, then he's, he's off the bench and he may be playing five minutes. Then he's in starting again. Uh, when we saw Jalil at, at his best, playing his best, you know, for the most part, for a good period, the, the, the ball in the offense, you know, would, would go through him a lot. Um, and then when you started to see him have to play more of a, a more of a role uh, or more of a smaller role, it, he started to struggle a little bit. Uh, my thought process on Ja was that I, I think over over time overall he can he, he can be a, a third big. Um, you know he got all of us all of us excited, but just like anything else, it's highs and lows. And right now, you know he's going through a low. He's battling ankle problems. I saw the comments about Gentry in his in his low top shoes. You know, um, but I, I no, I mean, you know, he's he's very skilled. We know what he can do well. As long as he's put in a situation, uh, in a system with a coach that's going to, you know, believe him and put him in the, in the best spot for, for him to succeed, he's in, he's a decent rim protector. But if you bring him out on perimeter to play defense, it's not going to go well. Um, you know, decent screen uh, setter. You know, he, you know, he's a guy that will make the right pass. He can do a lot of things well on a basketball floor. And today's game with fundamentals and, you know, incentives from a low post perspective on what they used to be, you know, he's, he's kind of a rarity. So if you put him in a situation off the bench where, you know, he's coming out giving you 20 minutes a game, he continues to improve, um, you know, in the off season, I, I don't see why he shouldn't be a part of this feature, even if it's, a, you know, on a short-term deal. All right, let's get to our questions now. Ali, this is from our friend Waka Waka Wakanda. He says, do you think Gail sees how the Hawks are building through the draft, establishing a culture, and maybe makes that a priority for the incoming GM? Also, how amazing is Sir Foster? He says, we went to the same college for the Hawks. And here's my question to you, Ali. Uh, obviously, the Hawks are doing it the right way. Uh, they're grooming and developing young players. Do you think that's the route that the Pelicans go, or do you think they're they're more ready to win now next season? Unfortunately, they're more ready to win now, and it's going to be because of that Anthony Davis package. We've all heard the types of deals that might be out there, and it all revolves around getting a star young player back with that superstar potential. So I think that's exactly what they're thinking. It's going to be not Del Demps 2.0, but they, they want to convince Drew Holiday to stay. They want to basically not go through any long rebuild. So that's the best way for them to do it. Now, granted, if they were, say, present an opportunity to end up with the first overall pick and then maybe land another one uh, of their own, say they get lucky in this upcoming NBA lottery, then I think you really have to look hard because there's a lot of good talent. And, there's, and, and if you've got a good culture, it's not a problem going through what Atlanta has done or any other team that has decided to exclusively go through the draft. But I, I think they're going to go through what I said earlier. They're going to go ahead and try and get another young guy or two bring in around Drew Holiday and maybe Julius Randle, whoever they keep or bring back. And that's going to be the route they take. All right, Grub, this is from Fire Week Joe Oliva. He says, what's your top three possible trade packages for AD? Is a Knicks package sufficient with Ja RJ um, instead of Zion Williamson? Yeah, I mean, you know how high I am on, on Ja Morant. So, you know, that that to me is is the best basketball outcome. And we've talked about that. Um, so I'm not going to do my whole spiel on that again, but yes, I would certainly take that as the, as a backup package. I mean, obviously the number one is the Boston package, the dream package of getting Tatum smart and a, and a big, and, and those picks that, that would be number one, the Knicks. And I think the Clippers are, are both in a very good position as well, because I think with the Clippers, you get hopefully a young, talented point guard, um, and shy, uh, 
Gilgis Alexander, and then you you get um, a, an expiring contract in Danilo Gallinari, um, and then maybe a Montrez Harrell to play up front, and then you have those picks. Or if it's not Harrell, you can take another piece, um, just you know that that you can use, like Shamit. Um, so you have that rookie. Um, so I think yeah, there are other packages that are exciting, but those would be my top three. I think the Lakers now they fall way behind. Um, and then the dark horses we talked about before, I think Denver or, um, or Toronto could both put together packages um, that could be interesting depending on how things fall. All right, Jamal, this is from uh, You Can't Handle the Jeruth. He says, what do you think happens with Czech this summer? I think Ali did a pretty good job of summarizing that one. His second question is, who do you think starts at point opening night next year? Do you think it's Alfred Payton? Do you think it's someone the Pelicans draft? Or do you think it's possibly a free agent? Uh, yeah, I don't think that person's on the roster right now. And I don't know, it, it, you know, if I had to, you know, bet my life on it, I would say it's probably some free agent, but, but, you know, maybe not, right? It, it's probably going to be a part of that AD trade. Like, um, you know, if, if you're getting smart back, I could see smart being the starting point guard opening night. If they go with the New York deal, um, there's a couple options, right? You could have Dennis Smith Jr. You could have John Morant, perhaps, depending on where that pick is. Um, even if you went with, like, a Clippers deal, you could see something like a, a Patrick Beverly starting for them. Um, he'd probably need somebody else behind him. But at least as a starting tandem, him and Drew would be uh, amazing in the backcourt. So um, I don't think that person's on the roster currently. Uh, if I had to guess, I'm going to guess that that, that position is going to be filled via trade and then probably they'll add some depth via free agency. Um, but but there's always the wild card with the pick, right? And really, John Morant is the only only option there in terms of somebody who you're going to pick this year who who could possibly start uh, opening night. So, so I'm going to say it's probably going to get filled via trade. All right, Chris, this is from our friend Tejeda. He says, what are the Pelicans take advantage of how marketable Drew can be in NOLA moving forward? Why haven't they taken advantage of all the players that, that have been marketable in the, in the past? You know, um, you know. I, I listen. You know, you you would hope. I mean, me and Kevin wrote uh, put together a, a wonderful piece about the music scene needing to be uh, more of a play in you know the marketability of what the uh, overall uh, selling of the team. Um, and you know, hey, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, I would hope that maybe if Drew is um, if he's going to be alone summer, or even if it's just, let's say you know they they plan on keeping him for a year and trading him, you know, next summer or something after next. If that if, if that's the plan, I hope that with him being the the new face of the franchise, you know, you will find a way to uh, take advantage of how you, unique of an individual he is. Um, I mean, I you know I don't know. I mean, I, I just I hope that you know there's been talks that the, you know the team has been uh, the the organization has been listening to the fans. Um, but man, I mean, it would be awesome, you know, from the the headband to, um, you know, just just the type of the type of quirky individual he is. I mean, how how family oriented he is. You know, find a way, you know, to you know to dig deeper into into this guy who has had to overcome a lot, you know, on the basketball floor and off the basketball floor with the city that's had to do with that's had to do the same thing. Um, you know, they could really have something there if they, you know, chose to go that route. So I don't know. Uh, maybe you know there will be some new new members of that, you know, particular part of the staff, but I'm hoping that, you know, they, they did a, a decent job, I guess, with Anthony, but they could have done more. 
and I'm hoping that, you know, maybe with Drew, you know, Ty's turn a little bit. All right, Ollie, this is also from Tejeda. He says, if the Pelicans pick Lance top three, do you think that it will prompt the GM to lean towards a certain trade package more, or does it not matter? Do you think they just take whoever the, uh, lands there? Wait, say that again? Sorry, I confused myself as I was reading it. Okay. Uh, I think what Tejeda is saying is, if the Pelicans get, let's say, like a top three pick and John mm-hmm. Morant and Zion Williamson are off the board, do you think they go ahead and take someone like a Cam Reddish or R.J. Barrett, or do you think they explore the uh, the trade landscape a bit with that player? Oh, with the pick you're saying? Uh, no, I, I, you've got to think that they're going to draft <laughs> whoever is uh, their best available on their board. You, you can't keep trading picks, and now that – you know, there's no impetus to win now because you have that superstar player. There's absolutely no reason to go down that route no, or down that road, no. All right, Grub. Positively Pelicans asked, who are some cheap free agents you would want to see the Pelicans spend money on? And I know that Ed Davis is probably <laughs> among them. <laughs> what would make you say that? I have no idea why anyone would associate me with that. But yeah, absolutely. Ed Davis is one. But I mean, there are some others that aren't cheap that I would still like to see the Pelicans go after. And this is another one that Ali and I were just talking about the other day is uh, Derek Favors. I mean, I really think Derek Favors could do big things with the Pelicans um, based on his uh, um, based on his ability to knock down the jump shot, defend in the post. And he's done it in a, just relatively few minutes this season for Utah. So he's somebody that I would really like the Pelicans to pursue. But, yeah, I think the biggest thing is to find front court help because you think that your backcourt and your wing help should be coming in all of your targets in the Anthony Davis um, mm-hmm. trade. That's what you're looking for. So, to me, free agent market should be about getting bigs and point guards. All right, uh, let's follow this up with Jamile and Chris. Give me two names of free agents that you hope the Pelicans target this summer. Uh, let's start with Jamile. Yeah, so it, it depends on, you know, their whole trade package situation. But um, I would say I've, I've always wanted Patrick Beverly. And so, um, you know, regardless of what happens, like whether it's we bring in a starter via draft or, or trade, like I think Beverly can fit basically any situation, right? If smart is starting, okay, then fine. You just have another great defensive guard coming off the bench uh, who can also hit a three. Uh, if John Morant, for instance, is starting, uh, or, or maybe if if you get John Morant, maybe you bring him off the bench and start Pat Beverly, right? And you have a an older vet who's closer to the end. He's 31, so he still has some time, but, you know, who, who might not be, uh, who might be willing to, to maybe tutor a young point guard, right? So, so he's a guy, regardless of their situation, who I would target. Um, and then a second person, again, it depends on their situation. I, I like, uh, this might be an unpopular one, but I like Paul Millsap, not on like some long-term deal. He's an older player. I think he's 34, um, but, but on, on like a one-year deal uh, or maybe a one-year team option or something. He's getting to the point where, uh, even as, as, as savvy as he is and as good of a player as he is, I don't think he's going to get that, those big, uh, you know, contract offers anymore. I think you could probably get him somewhere in the, you know, 15 to 17 range on a one-year deal. He's a Louisiana guy, so maybe he might be amenable to coming back. Um, and I just think he would be a nice – everybody on the team can't be 23, even though I know we all want that. Um, but he might be a nice stopgap uh, up front for you. Um, you know, in the event that 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 you don't uh, that you don't have a big going into the season. Um, also, 
I, I wouldn't hate, and, and it depends on how much you risk. Actually, you probably couldn't even do that, so I won't even say that. But Paul Millsap, uh, if you don't bring back Randall and, and you need some help up front on a short-term basis, will be a guy who I would like, I would like to, to take a look at. All right, what about you, Chris? I mean, I'm going to piggyback off of uh, off of Grub and um, and Jamil here. Uh, well, I mean, uh, Jamal, I think uh, that um, both a guy like Ed Davis, of course, is uh, is definitely an interesting guy, mainly because you know he's a he's an individual that he doesn't need much around him to really do his job. He doesn't need the ball. You know, he's not a you know he's he's, he's a smart guy that's going to make all the right plays. He's fairly he's fairly quiet. He's been in the league for a little bit, but he's not relatively he's not relatively an old an old guy, and he's been in a in a in a bunch of different uh, situations on on separate teams throughout his career. You know, he's seen he's seen terrible teams, he's seen uh, average teams, he's seen playoff teams uh, last year with Portland, and then this team he's probably looking at another one with Brooklyn. You know, so you know he has a bunch of different experiences that he can bring to a team, and if they're looking to reload, as as, as Ali talked about. Uh, I think he would fit in just fine. He's not going to cost much. I don't know how he fits, you know, considering that, you know, it seems like there's still going to be some sort of clutter uh, at a at a big man, you know, at, at the big man area, but, you know, in the front court. Uh, but, you know, we'll see once again what the new general manager uh, or if Danny Ferry is it, you know, will, will end up doing. And then I'm with Jamal on Patrick Beverly just because, you know, we, you know, you guys know how I feel about jerks and this team. We need one. And, I mean, the thought process of, you know, I mean, let's say they take the Boston deal. Uh, you got Marcus Smart and Patrick Beverly on the same team. I mean, we'd be the most irritating team in the history of basketball. Um, so, you know, and, 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 and not to mention what that can do uh, defensively. I mean, if you, if, if you got three guys between Drew Holiday, Patrick Beverly, and Marcus Smart, or even if it's not Marcus Smart, let's say, you know, if, if, if Pat Beverly's on the team, Another guy who, you know, has been in small markets, he's been in big markets, and he's not afraid of any talent. He doesn't – like, it's not apparent to him that, that the Clippers probably don't have the talent to be making the playoffs in the Western Conference. I mean, I mean, I mean they're, they're, they're finding a way being, being well coached. Uh, you know, they were a team that traded away guys, um, traded away a guy like Tobias Harris, and it's still more than likely going to make the playoffs in the Western Conference. I mean, but you couldn't tell him that they didn't have a shot. You know, he said in the beginning of the year when everybody was high, was, was high and dry or, or um, talking about the Lakers left and right and how they were going to be a Western Conference uh, Finals participant, you know, he said, we're the best team in L.A. You know, you want a guy like that on your team. And, you know, you, that type of energy, that type of confidence can pass on to your young guys. You know, and maybe some middle-of-the-road players that are still trying to find their way. I'm totally with Patrick Beverly. He's as New Orleans as it gets. So I'm, um, that's where I'm at with it. All right, you guys, I know you have a lot of draft questions, and we're definitely going to continue to talk about that as the summer uh, progresses. Obviously, May 14th will answer a lot of those questions for us. But before we go, Crescent City Connect says, potential draft prospects around our pick. I like DeAndre Hunter from Virginia. I think he can be a Kawhi type from us. I've heard Brandon Clark from Gonzaga would be a good pick. Any others? Ali, um, the, I, I've looked at four different mock drafts, and the guys five through fifteen are all over the place. Who do you think uh, naturally ends up somewhere around the Pelicans' pick? I'm in love with Rue Hachimura. He's the uh, he's the leader of the that Gonzaga team where Brandon Clark's also playing. But this guy is about a six foot eight wing. Um, he's been compared to Giannis Giannis Light because he's got a super quick step, first step. He can handle the ball, but he's really long. 
Uh, not as athletic, but he's, he's no slouch either. And his shot is improving. And I heard that Danny Ferry was out there looking, checking him out not that long ago. I think he saw some game uh, at the start of this month. So I know the Pelicans have an eye on him. And the more I read about this guy, he's half Asian, half African. He seems like a really good kid. And like I said, he's got that length. He's six foot eight. He's got a reach that's over seven feet long, can handle the ball. He seems like a dream at small forward to me. All right, Grub, what about you? I like Hunter a lot. Um, and if he were available, I think, yeah, it's six, seven, you know, he's got guard skills. They play him on the wing to handle the ball. Um, and I think he also could be strong enough, um, to play, you know, the two and the three, uh, shooting is really, really good, um, out of him. I like him a lot. Kobe White is another guy that I like. Um, uh, the only thing, I, the, the only thing I would want for Kobe is, is, is shot selection to be a little bit better, but Carolina plays so much in transition that I think he, um, sometimes he forces the three a little bit. Uh, but that, like, if if the Pelicans are getting multiple picks, somebody if if it's a further down in the first round, I like Bruno Fernando too out of Maryland um, to be that kind of um, pick pick and roll big man who can um, you know roll to the rim, be very athletic, block shots uh, with a little bit of length, um, you know, uh, and also just can pop out a little bit right now and should develop even more going forward. All right, I like Jackson Hayes out of Texas, 75% from the field, four block shots per 40 minutes. Uh, He's basically Clint Capella, um, and I think that's the type of player that the Pelicans need alongside Julius Randle and Drew Holiday going forward. Somebody who can still, um, you know, do the dirty work. Pretty much just a souped-up Czech Diallo, I guess. But obviously, all these guys uh, would be great and would be welcome additions to the New Orleans uh, Pelicans franchise. It's very exciting to finally have a top pick for a change. Uh, you guys, that's all the time we have for now. Sorry to cut off uh, Jamile and Chris, but thank you guys so much for joining us. Remember, if you guys like what you're hearing, spread the word. Like us, retweet us, rate us. You've been listening to at Ali Cosell, at DM Grub, at Jam Dunno 06, and at Impatient Bull. Thanks to each of them for joining us. Ali, before we sign off, um, anything you're working on? Yeah, I've got a whole bunch of things in the works. Something on Alvin, something on Kenrich, and a few other uh, articles as well. Sweet. What about you, Grubs? I got stuff. I'm just trying to find that one piece of inspiration because every time I feel like I've got one, <laughs> the Pelican situation changes. Me too. Yeah. And I'm having to to revise. So, I mean, it's it's like I've got three things working and I'm trying to just see which one boils first. All right, Jamal. We've lost Jamal. What about you, Chris? Uh, oh, sorry. Right, well, <laughs> boy, Jamal. Let's go. Let's go ahead and do Jamal first. Okay, so, um, for, so for me, uh, actually, David gave me an idea in the DMs one day about doing a, a piece on abolishing the draft, and so I've been doing some interesting research on it. I've had to like start researching like how European and Asian sports franchises kind of uh, do talent uh, acquisition in terms of young players. Uh, so that's pretty interesting. But I learned a lot about that. So it's kind of a lot of research that has to go. Uh, into it but but that's that's really a kind of interesting topic that, that I'm looking forward to writing about all right Chris uh well me and Kevin have have been speaking about doing a uh a sequel of sorts to our to our our music comparison that we did uh well or I should say our, our music um marketing idea that we did but at this point at this time it will be some sort of uh comparison to various musical arts uh, and how they how they would fit or who would be who um, 
in comparison to the the current roster of the Pelicans. So we haven't put it all together just yet, but you know, some sort of a sequel or you know a remix to what we did originally. So that should be fun whenever he's not at work. Very exciting. We'll have our eyes out for that. Uh, thank you guys again for listening. I'm Preston Ellis. You can find me at Preston Ellis. Make sure you you stick with the bird rights going forward. I know the, the last couple of weeks of the season are going to be pretty rough. Uh, things are going to get darker before they get much better. But a lot of exciting things on the horizon. Uh, in addition to free agency, we've got the draft coming up. We've got the Anthony Davis trade coming up. And of course, we still got a lot of young talent that needs developing. And we'll have a chance to see that over the next upcoming week. So stick with us, you guys. For now, let's go Pels. Thank Thank you for listening to the bird calls on the off the glass nothing but net and up and under podcast networks if you like what you're hearing please take a moment to rate us on itunes retweet share with your friends and most importantly subscribe today Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. Geico presents oh, yet another voicemail from your roommate. Hi. So, about the kitchen. Turns out when there's a grease fire, you're not supposed to throw water on it. <laughs> Who would have known, right? Anyways, the fire department is here and it's totally cool. Give me a call back when you get a chance. The Geico Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected, like if danger is your roommate's middle name. Visit geico.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance.